0: collective podcast this next one's about
1: hello and welcome to the New York artist collective podcast this next one's about I am your host Stephanie man's singer-songwriter and co-producer of the New York Artists Collective this evening I'm super excited we are gonna have a book club uh, we are talking tonight about uh, Glennon Doyle's recent release untamed i think her previous one was called love warrior but this one has really taken over social media the world it's amazing and i have three amazing artists who are here to talk with me so i have erica swindell what's up guys <laughs> but kaylin marie hey. and Mr. john gardner hello everyone hello How's How's going? Going? good it's so lovely to see you all i haven't i haven't uh, i haven't seen kaylin very often i haven't I've, john i've seen you on social media and <laughs> Erica, we've, we've, we chat every now and again. You see my you know, face it goes. too often. Not, not often enough, sweetheart. Not often enough. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a pleasure to, to chat to you guys. And thank you. When we do a book club, I'm asking uh, people to do quite a lot read a book, make some notes, and talk about it. Yeah. So I don't think that's, that's too much. We life. should all be doing more of that now, okay. you know? <laughs> Good. Um, so, as some background about all of you, so you're all, all three of you are singer songwriters. You're all from different places, I believe. John and Erica, you sometimes play together, and you're mm-hmm. all wonderful artists in your own right. So I'm very grateful for you to be here and to be contributing um, so so graciously with your time and efforts tonight. Of course. So one of the questions I was thinking about we could start with was that cheetah analogy. She starts off talking about the book, this cheetah analogy. So Doyle's Untamed, for those of you, oh, I have it over here, and I have lots of sticky Let's notes. hear it, it for can. that
2: book cover, too. I know! I mean, no, <laughs> Whoever I mean, did that art was really nailing I, it.
1: Let's see if we have the artist on it. I don't know. jacket jacket design. Lynn Buckley. So shout out to yeah. Jim Buckley. Lynn, Lynn, Lynn yeah, Buckley. Yeah. Good, good job. So Erica, in fact, maybe let's just start with you. What were your general thoughts on the book? Ugh. I mean,
2: the I general thoughts was just it really like kind of made me made my eyes wide several times throughout reading it and like hearing her describe her past that first thing that really blew my mind was that cdc or ccd thing where the woman just sat down without the bible didn't open it and how impressed she was by that and then continued to tell her own version of like the adam and eve story and i can remember in my childhood so many times being in that same position in like a religious i went to ccd i went to all that rosary's catholic and You look to those people with such wide eyes and and think they're going to drop truth bombs on you and then they just drop really confusing (laughs) theories about life and God and love. And you're like, but wait, what? (laughs) Wait, what? In general, I'd say it's a really great piece on learning to be uncomfortable in our lack of knowledge and digging into that instead of shying away from it, which I think is really important, especially right now.
1: I mean, because you guys sort of read this in fact, I think I read it too during the whole sort of pandemic thing as well. Did it did that sort of have an impact in the way that you, you perceived it either? Um, I read it a little bit later than
2: when just the pandemic was sort of the focus of all of our lives and sort of whatever the spilling over of the basket happened and Kind of going through navigating relationships with my parents that are now kind of uncomfortable when we start to try to talk about things. So the way that she led the discussions with her kids were really inspiring for me because I think that I need to be we need to be better at that. I need to be better at that with my own family and how she kind of like takes a step back from herself and her own um, initial emotional reaction to things and is able to sort of seek the lesson to be able to be the teacher in a moment like that, which I found very helpful because it seems like all we're doing now is just like reacting, 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 like what's next, what's next? And what is her mantra? Um, I can do hard things. We can sit in it and we can get through it. And I think that applies to so many different horrific (laughs) things that are going on right now.
1: And John, okay. I would like to hear your thoughts on the book. Oh, yeah.
2: I think
3: one of one of the things that jumped out to me the most right away, especially because I feel like this book kind of found me at the right time, um, because I just read another book um, that was talking a lot about kind of examining the ways that society programs you from birth. And so that was kind of a through line that she brought up a lot throughout throughout this book that I kind of really really connected with and I, I kind of something that's been on my mind a lot and mm-hmm. oh god the section i forget i forget what chapter it was about halfway through where she's talking about you know standing in the barnes and noble or the bookstore or whatever it was with her daughter with tish and tish is looking at the magazine covers and she like stops and like starts asking her questions about that that section just completely was like erica like eyes just like wide open and then to follow it up with the next section where she she goes into how women are put in boxes and boys are too and like here's the way that she starts examining her relationship with her son and the worries about that and it just that one hit hard because i I feel for chase because i also was a very sensitive child and like that was one of (laughs) you were (laughs) obviously (laughs) i mean come on um but yeah like that for for a long time when i was really young like if my brother ever wanted to like pick on me or my friends ever wanted to pick on me, they would always say, Oh, you're so sensitive. Like you're so weird. And it's only been fairly recently that I've kind of taken a step back and go, I have like a very visceral reaction to that word, whether it's good or bad, depending on the situation. But like reading that section of the book kind of made me really kind of return to that. And I and yep. have, have some, some thoughts with myself about it.
1: It definitely has a lot of hit you in the face moments, this book. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say she's a great storyteller oh, so yeah. and I was just going to say the one the one thing you mentioned about you know tish and some of the stories that she relates in terms of parenting her kids and it struck me that some of the best storytelling and the ways to tell a story and engage with people is not obviously to preach to them but some of the best novels in history have been told through the eyes of children and that gives you such mm. a different perspective on something you think you know mm. and uh Kaylin, what about you huge fan of Glennon Doyle.
0: This is the first piece of hers I've read. So when she was referencing her other books, I was, I was really glad that this is where I met her because it seems like she's unafraid to expose a journey and the millions of ways we can deny our emotions And how that can set us to just a million different traps. And I thought that was so brave and encouraging. And it was like she was exposing the mess of being a human without being self-deprecating, which Mm. I find Mm. a lot of brilliant women will speak. And then I don't know for intentionally or not, they'll kind of be like, but I'm crazy or I'm like, right. And then you're like, no, don't. Stand where you are and own it. Famous female apology. Yes. And Mm -hmm. I just love that it was unapologetic and gentle Mm -hmm. and so vulnerable and just, I mean, I just was such a huge fan. And just the, the message that, you know, emotions are informants and we are so. Easily distracted and able to deny them, and she just through her life story is sharing how many like little lies became huge things, and like, and once she meets Abby, and then her it's like oh, her yeah to come out, and it's just it's uh, that whole chapter. <laughs> I know
3: standing <laughs>
2: up opening her arms. Uh, that moment where I totally cried very, I cried many times reading this book yes. but I think one of the that, When she describes the moment when they both met each other I was like, that is love What yes. you
1: know
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, chills
1: mm-hmm. Yeah Yeah Oh, I was doing, I was, you know, just recapping it last night and I had sort of certain bookmarks and I got to that chapter and rather than kind of flipping through it to make some notes, I read that whole thing again and I was yeah. like, oh, <laughs> <I'm so loving." laughs> tell me more about love. <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: It's so but beautiful. But it's
1: just so beautiful. Thank you. It's so beautifully written and described and the description of like when I hugged her and I felt like home or, what so, you know, and that in itself is, you know, to some extent is, it can be a cliche, but the way that it was described is like I smelled fabric softener. I smelled all of this, and it was just like, oh! And it was just so real, and it brought you into that moment. And you were like, yes, that's all of the things that you realized in that moment. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. just beautiful. Yeah. But, but so the book touches on so many different themes. And then when, you know, as I was kind of writing out, I was like, how did she get through so much? Like she just—I mean, she tackled divorce and infidelity, sobriety, shame, bulimia. She's um, a free woman. Yeah, yeah. About she, that, That's let's, exactly what I was like.
2: How did you get through so much? I mean, how many times in that book did you think, "Oh my God, I, th- I can absolutely relate to that because of this part of my life or whatever." You know, it's like we can do hard things because we have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> we have no choice.
1: So a couple of questions that I had. So I wanted to start off with this because she we, she talks about, you know, meeting Abby and falling in love with Abby towards the start of the book. Now, one question I have, did falling in love with Abby cause Glennon Doyle to look at everything in her life and and question it and redefine it? Was that the sort of defining moment, do you think? I mean, I think that was maybe her
2: tipping point. It's like you get, there's that little sort of push where there's a glimmer of a safety net maybe. And like, the safety net is far beyond all these other op- obstacles you have to overcome to get to it. But just knowing that it's there somehow gives you something to strive for, I think. Because, I mean, I think maybe all of us can way of being maybe in a relationship and then meeting someone that kind of makes you finally have the courage to question that relationship or get out of it or whatever it is you need to do to to be more true to yourself. And I think she was very, oh, thank you, sir. Sorry, my manservant just came in. <laughs> so
1: nice. With, with uh, a cocktail and a palm frond. He did. He
2: did. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of love, just entering your life. Hi. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, you know, I think sometimes that little glimmer of hope is what you need. And then, and then that sort of is the catalyst for change when you start to look at other parts of your life as well as you get stronger and being more true to yourself, I think that's sort of what happened as the, it was the tipping point, maybe
3: Mm -hmm. I agree.
2: Yeah.
0: It's like only Glennon could say what that was, but as a reader diving off the pier of, Oh my gosh, if when you learn how to please, you abandon yourself, you can abandon yourself. And for her to have that moment of not even knowing what her body was doing, Mm -hmm. which certainly wasn't propelled by this intention to please it was like her truth was like pulling this is your truth you know it was like screaming at her and I think there's a point where she says once I knew this love I could not go back there's mm-hmm. certainly I think we all learn and come to in multiple ways work love really you know anything where once we see something we can't unsee it whether that was the beginning of something or it was her feeling something familiar again that was herself not her leaving herself to please or fulfill others desires it it was just the most beautiful eruption you know it was like I can't even control my truth that's coming out of me and I'm not going to filter Yeah, that's but, a scary moment isn't it <laughs> yeah oh, and what a crazy thing to be like I don't know what's happening to me because I have not been functioning from my truth Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know like that's what that kind of sounded like
3: And and her coming back to the that kind of theme of like, you can build that truer, more beautiful version of your life that you see in your mind's eye, only by how willing you are to burn everything down around you. That really kind of struck home, struck a chord with me for sure.
1: Yeah, that was definitely a, one of those slap in the face moments for me. And I think the way that she does it, rather than asking you, she never addresses you as the reader, mm-hmm. but she talks right. to her friends. And the mm-hmm. friend is sort of asking her what she should do. And she said, you know, like, what is the truest, most beautiful version of your life you can imagine? And she asks that question in quotation marks. And that, that made me just go, oh, Glennon's asking me what my, the most beautiful, truest version of my life is. Oh, what is that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah. And it says that, you know, the truest, most beautiful life never promises to be an easy one. We need to let go of the lie that it is supposed to be.
2: Yeah. I love that example of the mother with her kid, you know, the second child that was dying of the same disease. And mm-hmm. when she came back for her ideal example of her life, she said, this is it because sometimes things that are beautiful and meaningful are not always easy. That was an example that kind of blew me out of the water. Cause I'm like, Oh, surely this mother is going to write something where she's going to say, you know, where my children are well, my first child is still alive and my child is no longer dying. But that blew me. I was just like, whoa, okay. Not everything that is worth having is perfect or easy or beautiful. I just and thought yeah, that was really meaningful. And
3: it and it kind of goes with the other, I forget which chapter it was in, but she was talking about, I think it was such like an offhanded kind of like remark, but it was one of those like six words where I was just like stopped in my tracks where she said something along the lines of like, none of the world's most empathetic people have ever had easy lives or something like that. I I forget what the exact wording was, but it was her talking about that that exact thing where it's like hardship is what, if we let it, it's what makes us more sensitive to the Mm -hmm. world around us and more able to kind of clearly see what is important and what is,
2: is beautiful.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Like the destruction is essential to construction. If we want to build the new, we must be willing to let the old burn. I mean, that whole section, I, I was just like really taken by because, you know, in our world, I think in a lot of ways we feel as if we've hit rock bottom and hearing how much she talks about those moments in her own life as exciting times, because that means that something new is going to come from that and it will be better than what was before. And just because we have to shatter through it doesn't mean that we should be afraid of that. We should look at those moments of op- op- as opportunities. Um, I think that's a really positive positive way to live your life. And I think it's a very truthful way. If you take those examples, if you take those opportunities to make it better,
0: yeah. it makes it an invitation. Like when something mm. comes up instead of resorting to a denial of an emotion or a challenge or anything, you're like, um, okay, there's something I need to learn. Let's go in, let's do it. You know, it's kind of like this, her metaphor on being the burning bush She's like, mm-hmm. I'm not burning, but there's fire in me. Like, I'm not going to burn down, but it's in me. Like, it's not going to kill me. Yeah. I that was just so... Like, all of us need to hear that in some way or another at some point, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> and sometimes it's the way that that message is delivered. Princess Marilyn Monroe said, sometimes good things fall apart so better things can fall together. Now, I love that quote. And I use, I yeah. say that to my friends every time they get dumped. But <laughs> <laughs> this book just sort of really digs into that idea and that you know like burning things down and like you talk you know when you talk about bushfires and when they're controlled when they can be controlled then it actually re-energizes the earth and all of the nutrients go back into the earth and things can grow again when it's controlled obviously I'm not talking about the bushfires in Australia towards the tail end of last year but <laughs> <laughs> I went into that and I didn't know how to get out of it
3: That's <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> mm.
1: you um, kind of got out <laughs> thank you Thank you very you much. Do. So let's talk about what this means in terms of our views of women and the way that we've grown up. And also let's, let's sort of translate this to what it means to us as female artists. Like, how do we show up as female artists with these expectations that we have come to the stage with? And how are we, we're, we've now seen things and now we can't unsee them. And how are we going to move forward with that? And John, let's start with our, our um, token male feminist. What do you think about this?
2: I mean it. No pressure. Yeah, no. <laughs>
1: Sorry, did man, it, I
3: know. Maybe
1: I can. Maybe I'll ask you an intro question. Did it change okay. your views as to how female artists show up?
3: I don't think it changed them. I think it reinforced them. Because Erica, you and I have had many a conversation about this, and especially in the context of of the band that I run. Like one of the things I've talked to Erica about is making it a priority to restructure the band so that it's more gender equitable and more racially diverse, especially Erica like has a bunch of stories that she can tell you about her time with, what's that little band you play with again? The um, little
1: one, the, the, birds,
3: the beagles, uh, or something Hops. like that. The birds, some, some, <laughs> eagles? I don't know, whatever. Something but yeah, like that. I, I think, so. That, I just, yeah, the there's just, can't even imagine the the kinds of pressures that come with showing up, especially in such like a cis white male dominated industry. Sorry, guilty as charged. And I just reminded myself of that part of the book where she says, there's two connotations to people to the way people say, I cannot even imagine there's the yeah. empathetic one where they're already imagining. And then there's the one that's like a dismissal. But Sorry, I digress. No, I think it kind of, I think it kind of reinforced the way that I've, I've, I've been feeling. And I think especially Within the context of like the social uprisings that that we're seeing around the world, especially in America right now, it, it's kind of forced me to have more conversations within myself to say, okay, you need to like, this is the time to sit and listen. Because I've struggled with how to talk about it on like social media from from my perspective, because mm-hmm. um, I feel like I don't want to be taking up airwaves that people who have much more lived experiences Reassessing and and making sure that I'm doing as much as I can to kind of show up in that context in the way that female identifying performers show up in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's just being more aware of you know the bar club gig life, you know, like making sure that you're like watching out for for the people around you and, and just a number of other ways.
2: Mm-hmm. Whenever we when we get back to that eventually.
3: Uh, oh God. <laughs> I think I had more, I just like blacked out and forgot that that's a, that's a thing. So in like, 2022 when we start getting <laughs> <it. laughs>
1: about Kaylin?
0: Her story about seeing the really confident 12 year old on Tisha's soccer team, where she was talking about how seeing this young woman be kind and confident and talented, but also friendly and just a, possibly well-rounded young woman annoyed her or it like stirred her away. and she was like what she's 12 what is this thing and then she goes on to the the point that it there's this weird trend of it being more acceptable to be around a suffering woman or an insecure woman than a confident woman and that shook me up a lot because I thought about uh, even my background in acting. Like I, I, ha- I thought about this one story in my senior year where we had a teacher, we each had to walk to the front of the class and the teacher was going to tell us our type.
2: Oh my and, God. I know exactly who this is. And this is yes, n- yes. not and, I, this youth. You, got, and, you probably, and I can have a separate probably. conversation about whoever that is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He probably said this to multiple. I mean, I'm sure he said this to many people, but I stood in front of the classroom and he said, you're a leading lady. People will want to see you fall apart. And I, oh my God, I,
2: I don't even have, I can't. Mm.
0: No. And I remember thinking what? And and he said, people will want to see you fall apart to find you relatable. And I was like, so the only thing that will be relatable is if I'm falling apart. And I remember leaving that class and thinking to myself, well, that's bizarre. And then, you know what? I went into the New York acting scene and every part I played, I died I was abused. I was, I had to have a mental break. I had to have, I fell apart. And then yeah. I I looked at my music as this escape where I could be my lighter side or, you know, more all like well-rounded. And then I started this band where I was kind of giving myself an alter ego and this alter ego was like way more confident than I actually was. And it, she like was saying really sassy things and it wasn't going to land if I wasn't going to show up for it, you know, but it was, I remember feeling like, oh my God, people are going to think I've changed and no one's going to relate to me if I'm confident. <laughs> like <laughs> what is that? And I, and I was, I remember that check with myself and it's this book made kind of like, we wove everything together for me to see, oh my gosh, like, I've totally belittled my ability. Like, I feel I connect with people all the time. I aim to, I aim to relate. I'm an empathetic person as far as I think I am. You know? Like, But then this narrative that I have to be apologizing or, or I'm people will only hang out if I'm sad. Like, I don't, I don't even, I don't think I was really thinking these things. But when I looked at my art and a woman in the industry, I realized... I don't know, it felt a little more comfortable if I was just super vulnerable, which I prefer to be candid, you know? Like tell us, tell the real story before a song, sing the song with the truth that you wrote it with. But when I had to do this more fun, like don't flatter yourself type thing, I was I was very nervous. So this, yeah, I'm just so glad this book has made me kind of give myself permission to say, no, 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 you can keep going in that direction.
1: Like you don't have to be crying all the time. <laughs> I've had a couple of questions about that. So when that teacher, he was a teacher, acting coach, when he told you that... Kaylin and I went to
2: the same college, which is why I know exactly, yeah.
1: In hindsight, do you think he was being a bit of a dick or was there some truth to what he was saying and that audiences want to see that and that's fucked up? I think it was the latter. Every time he would say something like that, he said way worse
0: things like to other people, you know, it seemed like he was also like, and I'm sorry, at least Mm. like, it was like, people will want to see you fall apart. That's the business. I mean, right when I got out of school, another acting teacher, I was like, Oh my God, I went to a commercial audition and they said I had to lose 10 pounds and I was like, what? And then she was like, yeah, pre me too movement too. Like other things happening, you know, it was just, that's the business. Yeah.
2: And Mm -hmm. that's why you and I probably are not in the business (laughs) anymore. (laughs) talk about boxes, that chapter about your your glass or your water and sexuality is in the glass. But you can apply that metaphor to so many things in our lives. Like that Mm. is such an incredible metaphor for like we're all water. And because she does that with her daughter, with the buckets in the ocean, you know, I'm such a sucker for a metaphor. So I was like all over her. (laughs) She's all about metaphor writers. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) I love that, you know, that's so true. Like there's uh, society has put these glasses in these boxes and nobody fits in them. And I don't know why we keep trying to fit in them because if people think they fit in them, they're probably not living their truth. And I have so many feelings about that experience that you had because I had that experience and how many other women did he affect and not even just women, how many other vulnerable eager students of acting of the arts did he just like ruin for years? And he's not the only one. Everybody's buying into the system of like, let me tell you what you are instead of Mm -hmm. why don't you tell me what you are? Mm -hmm. And I think that the world, the word vulnerable in the acting role especially, but just as an artist has been a dirty word. And I think that that is absolutely insane. It's like being vulnerable is human cry. Like that whole chapter about, you know, her little boy, like those stories about the, like the little boy having to go into the bathroom to cry because crying was not, was seen as a sign of weakness or like kind of detested. My dad cried all the time growing up. My fiance cries all the time. I love that. I think that that is like, we should show that to little boys more often and more than just little boys, people in general. I mean, it's yeah. anyway, I just, I think that her approach to the idea of she doesn't even ever really put herself in, she doesn't apply terms to herself because she doesn't ever really associate or find that any of them fit. And I, I love that she kind of comes to those terms because like we've all tried to describe ourselves. I think that those are important things to do, especially when you are talking about, the LGBTQ movement and especially now with racism like we need to be comfortable talking with terms like that but we also need to understand that they're not the whole picture at all and by any means and they've been abused by society for so long by religion by a white male-driven society and I think that they've been used to like keep us in these glasses and these boxes and I, I just I'm not here for that anymore.
0: <laughs> no and like honestly for lack of a better word, fuck comfortable. Like that's exactly what needs mm-hmm. to be dismantled right now is like, go to the uncomfortable places, talk about the uncomfortable things. Cause clearly comfort is the thing that has been making so much, like so many things that need to change. Just sit, you know? Yeah. It's, it's
2: like, why nobody wants to talk about it. Right. Her, her right. chapter about the, you know, being attacked is like not making space for like women of color to come into the conversation and taking that space from them and being shocked, but not being, but taking that in as opposed to like rejecting it. She, Mm. she did such an amazing job of like taking in the information, sitting in the uncomfortable feeling of, did I do this wrong? And like using it to fuel her down the line and being more of an activist. It's just, we're all so conditioned to be like, Oh, is that uncomfortable? Mm, Can't be there. Mm -hmm. and it's not it's not time for that anymore it's time to get into those comfortable spaces and sit in them
1: as an example you know to relate to you caitlin when i first got into radio i had a, a boss of mine who said to me as i was starting he said look steph people aren't are gonna like you less because you're female and i was like what do you mean and he was like well if you think about it like think of you know and he named a few presenters in the uk and he said for the women they're all very much Marmite. Do you know that term? Basically, it's like a Vegemite type thing. It's a very <laughs> uh-huh. distinct, like distinct taste. And the point is, and the, they market it as you either love it or hate it. And he said that sort of about women. He said, listen, this isn't, and like that teacher said to you, he said, this isn't how it should be. But he said, that's how it is. But he didn't uh, do anything to change he, it. <laughs> no, he put, he put me on air.
2: He did put me uh, on air. Well, that's something. Yeah. But, But he made you feel so insecure before he put you on air. He wasn't Um, preparing you for success. He was preparing you. He was conditioning your brain
1: to expect less.
2: I'm not, I feel like
1: it may have, I mean, this was a while ago. I've kind of forgotten how I heard, how (laughs) it was, but I feel like it was in response to, I got a, I got this really shitty email and I was on air at the time and somebody wrote in. I mean, it was probably a double-sided page of A4 paper about how much he hated listening to me. Cool. He, he absolutely hated it. And I was on air and this came in and I was reading it and I was like, oh. And it really hit me whilst I was presenting. And I talked to my boss about it afterwards and I said, because it came to me, I could have just deleted it, but I gave it to my boss and I said, "What do you think of this?" And he said, "I don't care." And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" And he said, "Well, and he explained this." And he said, "Quite honestly, I would prefer it if you got a reaction." He said, this guy is listening. He didn't switch the radio off. And he said, I would much rather you stand out than blend into the background. That's and actually,
2: thought, that's something like Glenn Doyle in the book is talking about, like when that, when that lady comes up to her and has all yeah. these negative things to say. And she's like, well, that's, you know, you wouldn't me. That's the best choice for you. And I'm happy yeah. for you.
1: Mm-hmm. So, but it prompted me to think about women and how they show up and the reaction that they get. And I like the very obvious the the most obvious thing I could, I could look at was comedians, was female comedians. Mm. And I remember, I mean, they, I mean, like the ones that are, that were sort of perceived to be the funniest were the sort of beta male where they were maybe a bit chubby, slightly less attractive. They weren't threatening. They weren't threatening to women. They weren't threatening to other men. They just weren't threatening to anybody. And when a woman come like came on and I remember, and she was black, she was beautiful. She sort of wore this, like, body-hugging dress and, she like, sort of electric blue and had, ele- like, electric blue heels on to match. And her hair was, like, up and beautiful and she was stunning. And her, the reaction that she got, it took her much longer to get a warm response from the crowd. And it wasn't because she was less funny, but it was just this collective, like, intaking of breath because they found her threatening, whether it was because she was black and a woman and beautiful. Oh, but yeah. You can't be beautiful all, all of those and funny.
0: You can't no. be beautiful and smart. You can't be beautiful and successful. You can you only be beautiful, be beautiful and talented or something yeah. else.
2: Right. But when you, you know what that year. is, all that is though, is in my opinion, it's like we've been pitted against each other from the start as women always mm-hmm. like there. I don't know. There's always been this sort of like threatening. Thing. I, I've worked so hard to surround myself with, with women that I think are outspoken super talented, like trying to find their truth as desperately as I am, which I don't know that I've found it yet, but we'll get there. And just like strong women, because I think so often in the industry, as I'm speaking as like a a music artist, for example, like I think so often in the industry, we're supposed to be like competitive, like because there's usually only one or two of us in the band. So it's like, well, there's less spots. So automatically I have to like have my guard up. And if, if you're a beautiful, talented charming woman then of course we can't be friends we have to be enemies because that's like, what They can only be one, be one of us mm-hmm. yeah or you know the word the other side of that is like <laughs> uh, there's so many times where as like one of the only females in a band like we'll walk into a venue and I'll be the only one asked for my badge because I'm a girl so I must be a groupie right or uh you just having moments where I would try to offer a suggestion and like Everybody kind of turns and looks like, oh, that's cute, isn't that adorable? Yeah. You know,
1: yeah. Yep. It's <laughs> super frustrating, but but that's the real theme of the book. It's this sort of mindset that women should be grateful and you know not rock the boat and not want more. And it's this idea that like that that sort of that idea is given to girls, but not boys. Like for <laughs> boys, it's like go out right. and get what you want, but for women, it's like oh, but you know you've got this, you should be grateful. And in the same you know way that she was thinking about her divorce. And she was like, what should I do? But I should be grateful because I have these two kids and and like a dad who's great with his kids. I should, I, you know, just stay with him because I I should be grateful for what I have currently.
2: I mean that description of her marriage where she's like, I learned to have a husband. I learned to fake orgasms. I learned to this and this and this. And I'm just like, I know so many women
0: who yeah. have been there yeah.
2: <laughs> nice. Oh, and so many, why are we protecting? Why? Like as I'm, this is a question for you, John. Cause I'm like, why are we protecting men from not even knowing that they're bad in bed? <laughs> why are we doing that?
1: I've tried to on <laughs> Don't I don't think that's a reflection on you. I'm just no. Saying, I'm, I'm just saying. As would you? Would
2: you like? Is there a world in which, like, <laughs> what would change? Do you think if we all just stopped faking it?
3: Uh, the world would melt down. Is what would happen? Because I think
1: men's egos would break.
3: Well, I mean, I just you know I was a high school boy at one point, and like it. So many of the conversations around that kind of stuff. It, it takes such a language of like, like the language that a conquistador would use. Like that is, it is like such a language of like power and, and
2: you mean as from the like male from the boys
3: from the males, like gotcha. that is the way that that men are conditioned to view sex. It's not like an intimate thing. It's not something that is like meant to bring you closer with somebody. It, it is, it is, or even just, not even meant to be something fun. It is meant to be like, I'm being a man. I'm taking over. Like, this is me. Yeah. It's fucking horrifying. And even, even like, as a little, little preteen boy in rural Virginia in the South, like there is such an aspect of so many boys knowing like, Hey, there's something kind of fucked up about this. But like, if I Mm -hmm. speak up, I will get socially ostracized. Um, and so it, it, what I think would happen if you just stopped pretending that men are good and bad is most men would just like totally freak out and melt out. Um, because, because they, whether they would admit it or not, or even be conscious of it or not, what they would hear is not, Hey, like we can work on this and make you a little bit better. Uh, they would hear, uh, you're weak. You are, you are nothing. Because that's just learning the conditions. Yeah,
2: no, you're not set up to succeed. I think she realized that with her own little boy in the book. She's like, Oh my God, I didn't take the same time to prep him for becoming an adult that I did with my daughters.
3: And the whole thing with his phone, when she when she gave him a phone and like she was like just talking about him watching his bright eyes just like slowly dull. Like I
1: yeah.
3: oof. Yeah, yeah, I know.
1: I know. In terms of the way that you say, you know, it would crush men. But it's Really because we teach men what their value is. Yeah. Through toxic masculinity. Yes. And through yes. power and dominance and all of those things.
3: Don't get me wrong. It would be a great thing to crush most men. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> but that yeah, it's like the, the vocabulary for that we use to to teach men what being a man is is just like so terrifying. Like
1: I mean, I hear and it all that, the time at Trump rallies. That's what I see. Yeah. It's that language.
3: Yeah. And like that, I remember one of the first, one of the first things, and, and I am in a very, very privileged position in, in that my my dad was also one of one of the men who cried a lot and was like very kind of open with his and was very like able to communicate his emotions and how he was feeling without being violent or without being whatever it was. And I remember very distinctly once, uh, I had gotten in a fight at school or something. I don't know to but he came and picked me up and like was driving me home. And like I was being such a, you know, little shit about it and being like woo, 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 woo. and one of the things he said to me was essentially a real man does not lead with his fists. He leads with his heart. And that was like one of those moments. I, was, like, I a, love your dad. Like, frozen <laughs> in time where it was like a light bulb goes off and I was like Ooh, what and you know like that was the last we kind of spoke of it and like one thing that he always did is if something big happened good or bad the new york
0: artist collective instead Boy, of like
3: Boy, sitting Boy, us it's down it's right it's away he was about. write us a long letter and just like leave it on our pillow because he was like really kind of a proponent of like oftentimes in high emotional situations like you should back off and like take a take a moment to gather your your um your thoughts and that kind of when she started talking about the knowing and that kind of like sinking in and dropping, like that was what I was reminded of because I feel like whether he knew it or not, like he really, really hammered that home with me and my siblings of like, when you get into that kind of high emotional situation, like take a moment to just kind of like step, even if you just step away a half a step just to kind of get some breath. Um, I forget how I got here. I just lost my train of thought
1: the knowing no, and yeah I, and I think it just
3: yeah like so I guess it comes from a place of love when coming back to your original point Erica is it comes from a place of love of me saying we we should crush most men in in as uh loving a way as possible because it, it's as just in, the, sorry to interrupt Do you mean like no, as burn the
1: house down so they can grow yeah
3: like like and t- coming back coming back to the comfortable versus uncomfortable like growth is never comfortable It always hurts. And like, we love to tout Martin Luther King Jr.'s, uh, you know, quotes on MLK day, but we forget that his approval rating in the public was like, what, 20%, 15% at the time, like people hated him. Um, So I I kind of, because people hate being uncomfortable. Yeah. That chapter about where she
2: talks with her kids about whether or not they would have been marching with him. And she wants to say yes so badly. And then she's like, again, having another uncomfortable moment of truth with herself saying, I don't think we would have, but that's the kind of the lesson, isn't it?
3: Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's a good point. (sighs) It's
2: a bloody great book. (laughs) It's a really good book about, it's not, you know, I came at this thinking that it would be like more driven towards feminism, but it ended up really just being a lesson in how to deal with, difficulties in your life at large, <laughs> yeah, yeah. how to be a better human. I think, you know, she kind of comes back to that idea of like, we have to rediscover what it is to be human and how we can be more human. And I think it's a really great book to read right now because it touches on a lot of the things that we're really kind of unearthing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. But also how, when you are letting yourself be more human, it invites others to be more human you know how many times did someone do something silly and it just showed their humanness a little more and then you felt a little free like even in micro ways just like I don't know I'm in my PJs like <laughs> you know' like, this is what I wanted to do today so that's what I did like yeah someone else can go on a book club podcast and say I felt like. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Like, it's, it's like, whatever. The more we let ourselves be free, that freedom is mm-hmm. contagious. Truth is contagious, you know, mm-hmm. so beautiful. And she says it in a million ways.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think definitely the, where I have really connected with people on a, me, on a meaningful level is where we have shared something vulnerable about one another. And it might, you know, like someone's got to do it first. <laughs> yeah you know? Absolutely. But as soon as you open that door, there's this sort of connection of, Oh, they are like, there's a respect because it's like that person was brave with me and that will, Mm -hmm. you know, regardless of whether you agree, will lead to respectful conversations that can be positive, I think. And like, I have a, a, a good friend who he's a, he's a Republican, staunch Republican gun owner Many, you know, Trump, like Trump supporter, all of that, um, but he is one of my fiercest LGBT allies. Hmm. And ain't the we, world a funny thing, <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it really? And we don't fit in glasses. We don't fit in glasses. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, like you know, the Supreme Court ruling last week. He phoned me to say, "Isn't that great?" And I was like, "That was." really lovely like he was actually probably the only person that phoned me i mean i was sort of on facebook wow. going yeah isn't this great but he was the only person who phoned me to say this was wonderful and he you know he was like i you know read the dissents and everything else and like disagreed on maybe this point about like the actual law of it not like he was in agreement that it should be elite, like illegal to discriminate mm-hmm. on the grounds of sexuality but he was just like you know on, on the sort of small point he was like i agree with that but i like it should have happened but it should have been done as a bill through congress
3: yeah.
1: um but i was like isn't that wonderful that we can disagree so fundamentally in in Mm -hmm. some ways, but be able to kind of have this respectful relationship and conversation about things. So, but that all happened because one of us was willing to be vulnerable. Yeah. I I think it was me first. I (laughs) (laughs) can I'm kidding. Um, As we wind up, as we're coming to the top of the hour, would you like to share your favorite quote slash slap in the face moments of this book?
2: Mm. I have
1: a list
0: right here. Let me pick one. Someone yeah.
3: else go first. Yeah, look. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's like a new Bible. Thank you,
1: Glennon. Yeah,
3: seriously. I'm going to reread this so many times. because
1: yeah. it's also you know it's,
3: She covers so many things without being long. Like, it's not a long book. It's amazing how no. much she just, like, packs in.
1: And, like, the chapters are very quick. There's just sort of a couple yeah. of pages and you move on to something, and it's really digestible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um ugh.
3: I'm not going Let's first
1: because I need. Let's see. see. Okay. Uh. Uh. You lot are useless. All right. Uh, no, no, I
2: got one. Here we go. Uh.
1: Okay, no, I got one. Wait. Okay.
0: <laughs> what the world needs is masses of women who are entirely out of control. Yes, that's <laughs> I a good one. Am <laughs> amazing. I mean, what the fact that she doesn't say this, but my interpretation was she leads her life aware that everyone is here for the first time, as far as we know, and you are going to learn from your children. You are going to learn from someone with a different background. Like you're not, you cannot maintain the universe in your brain. You have the universe to continue learning. And mm-hmm. like, continue making mistakes to grow from them, continue burning things to rebuild, to continue like moving in a way that is not about getting things right, Mm -hmm. but getting things true. You know, I just, I mean, and the whole like idea that the biggest compliment for women, it seems would be to say you're so selfless and how that. That, like that needs to be ripped apart. Mm-hmm. And that women can be mar like instead of being martyrs for their children or their family or their friends or their relationships, they could be models mm-hmm. of, of independence, of humanness, of making mistakes and still having a good heart, like trying. We're all just trying. Yeah. My swan song this evening. <laughs>
2: uh, I mean okay here's one this is um, brave means living from the inside out brave means in every uncertain moment turning inward feeling for the knowing and speaking it out loud which damn we all need to do a lot of turning inward right now and Mm. I mean I, I think that just speaks to like brave doesn't mean the same thing for everyone which she talks about in the book and I think like the importance of the inward moment. I think a lot of us are sitting in that right now. I definitely am like, I'm sort of feeling a little lost as to like how I can be best of service and like doing a lot of sort of just reflection about it and, you know, educating myself. And I think what was great about this book is she's like, that's good. And everybody's timeline is different. So like, don't, if you're not the person who's going to like run out their front door, right. Ready to know exactly what they have to say and like how to say it right now, like in all aspects of life, that's okay. You know? And I I feel like I needed to hear that and hear her story about how she was able to refocus herself and like come out on the other end screaming because you know, that's, it's a tough thing to, you're always trying to say like, well, i I must not be brave because I didn't behave in that way. Or like, I must not be strong because I didn't behave in that way. And I think like this book is so much about putting down the iPhone, putting down the outward things that come into your life and like really going into the closet, like she said, and like sitting there mm-hmm. so that you come, can come out a whole being as yourself and not pieces of other people's being. And.
3: Well, that was really nice. stuck with me. Yeah. Wow,
2: John Conflict. That was really nice.
3: <laughs> Not being pieces of other people's being. That's, that's good. <laughs> I like that. Um, okay, well, I, I, I thought of mine, but I found the section in the book, but it's a little too long to actually read. It's the section where, um, how do you say her youngest daughter's name? Emma or Amma?
1: Amma. Amma. I think. Oh, I thought Amma? it was Amma. Amma?
3: I know. <laughs> I'm going to say Amma.
1: I thought it was What's Amma because you know in that HBO show. It was Anna. And I
3: thought it was, I thought that was it. Okay, cool. That's what I'm going to say. Emma, Um, It's where she's getting really frustrated with her classmate, Tommy, because he'll never turn in his homework. And Mm -hmm. she has a whole conversation with her about being like, well, why do you imagine that he's like, why are you able to get your homework done? And like Mm -hmm. watching, like reading and kind of through the reading, watching her kind of explain the concept of empathy to her youngest daughter, through just questioning her about it and making her kind of find her way to it. And then she basically says like, Emma still, Emma still gets annoyed at Tommy, but she has her imagination to keep her soft and open. And I think that is just like one of the most synced like descriptions of, of empathy I think I could ever imagine. And I, I, that one really kind kind of hit me hard because I think if more people took that moment to kind of sink, into their knowing and and imagine, like really imagine things from other people's perspectives. Um, a lot of what we see going on right now would get sorted out pretty quick. Mm-hmm.
1: Totally agree. Yep. No, I agree. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing. I mean, I will just share my last one with you, but it, I will just go back and reiterate um, what is the truest, most beautiful version of your life you can imagine, because that is some that is literally something that i take away from that book and i ask myself every day and i just it was it was my slap in the face moment yeah. and i'm really grateful for that just that one if there's nothing else i take away and there are many things i take away but if there's <laughs> nothing else it's certainly that so um well this was fun thank you for uh, having happy hour with me and this is great <laughs> yeah well thank you for having
2: us read the book because yeah. damn, it really
3: seriously w- thank you
2: kicked me <laughs> in the pants
3: is that a text
1: is that a texas thing coming out sorry <laughs> kicks, you in the, kicks you in the camel toe um are there any <laughs> you said fun i don't know this is a feminist thing yeah. um one gin and tonic is all it takes <laughs> in terms of the book club and i'll ask you because you're here as artists, was this an interesting book to read as artists and like looking as I think to the next book club, and I have an idea in mind um what do you how do you do you like something that sort of focuses on um who you are as obviously a person but also how you can relate to it as an artist as well?
2: I think this book was my favorite with well, we all know I didn't really enjoy the last book, but whatever uh, I think our role right now is shifting and becoming less about like just us as artists and we're being called on to speak to the world. This book was really helpful to me because it's like, I need to really dig into like the hurt and the brokenness of the entire world so that I can have something actually important to say Mm -hmm. (laughs) and helpful maybe. um, Because, I don't know. I I just found it to be like more inspiring to me right now than any other book just about art because art feels so insignificant to me. And I feel really not inclined to create my own art because it feels like I don't want to clog up the world with something that I just want to whine about. I want to actually like write something that will make, make a, Affect people in a deeper, deeper way, because I think that's what we're being called on to do right now. And I think that that's what I liked about this read is because it kind of, we have to know, we have to continue to be educated about our world if we're going to continue to be good artists.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's what I'll say. I liked mm. that one. <clears throat> well, thinking about, if you have suggestions, send them in. I think there were some, some on my list. And one is a book um, by Lament Dozier. Um, I think it's it's either Lamont or Lamont and in Scotland. Lamont is a surname, but here is his first name, so I'm not sure if it's Lamont or Lamont. Lamont Dozier, because I've never met him, I can't ask him. <laughs> um, but it's his autobiography. And if you're not familiar with Lamont Dozier, he is one third of a songwriting partnership, Holland Dozier Holland, that was responsible for, I don't know, ninety percent of all Motown hits that came out of. Um, oh
3: I, wow cool
1: yeah and so you know a, a black a black man um who you know and he starts off telling and i've written i've read half of it but he starts off um his story i think he was in detroit and he talks about growing up in a really impoverished um home and his dad's an alcoholic and you know they wake up in the middle of the night and there are rats in their room like it's he starts there and he you know gets to worldwide fame and recognition and all of that stuff um, and in terms of, you know, like hearing stories from people of color, um, that's definitely something I'm interested in right now. Absolutely.
2: Yes. And also let's talk about, as this moves forward, I mean, this is probably an outside conversation, but I started to learn more about all of the songs that are by white artists that were totally stolen from, yep. mm-hmm. I think that's something that we need to talk about. Like oh, I, yeah. And how music they did, just yeah. got away with it.
3: The music industry's got a lot of explaining to do about that. Because it, yeah. it's it's like 90% of hits or more.
2: Yeah. yeah. Like looking <laughs> at you, Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Like looking like at the rock rock stones. Oh uh, yeah. It's just awful. Anyway.
1: Yeah. We might could be something to that. break. That, break down. Yeah, I would yeah. That's let's let's discuss that offline because there yeah. are ways that we could do that technically. Um, but I would need to kind of think about how to, how to do it in this format, but I would love to, i think that would be really wonderful to do. Everyone, I was going to say guys, but we're people. We're not, we're not guys. Um, this has been such a pleasure. I really loved, I mean, I do, I do this because it's, it's for me, but if it helps other people, that's great. Um, (laughs) fun. It's thank you fun. so much for your time, your efforts and your energy and, and bringing it to the space for for this conversation. I appreciate you. So thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. All right. We'll see great. you soon. All right. Bye. The New York Artist Collective podcast. This next one's about